Welcome to the Jolie Life Podcast. This is Jolie, and today's podcast is on insulin. So I'm entitling this Insulin 101. Insulin is so important as it relates to metabolic health. Metabolic health is in a crisis in the United States, and so many people are walking around with metabolic disorder, and they don't even realize it. So how do you know if you are leaning toward metabolic dysfunction? Metabolic dysfunction shows up in numerous ways. It shows up in weight gain. So you might be eating the same thing that you've always eaten, had the same exercise routine you've always had, and suddenly you're gaining weight and you don't understand why. Metabolic dysfunction is found when you have weight gain in the belly. Belly weight gain is a telltale sign of metabolic dysfunction. If you have a healthy diet, if you think you have a healthy diet, but you're starting to gain weight in your midsection, it's time to change your diet because your body is telling you, "Uh uh-oh, something is wrong metabolically. Another sign of metabolic disorder is skin eruptions. So suddenly you start developing skin sensitivities or rosacea or you begin to have acne when you didn't have acne or acne in strange places. That also is a sign of metabolic dysfunction. Sleep disturbances, um, lack of ability to focus, energy swings up and down, all signs of metabolic dysfunction. And when we look at metabolism, we need to understand the role of insulin. So oftentimes we only think about or talk about insulin in the context of diabetes. But insulin is a master hormone. And by master hormone, I mean it is a hormone that impacts all of your other hormones. And so this is why metabolic disorder is so, so important to address. And the earlier you address it, the better off you are because it disrupts so many hormones. It disrupts your sex hormones. It decreases your libido. It makes perimenopause and menopause extremely painful in terms of the symptoms and the, I shouldn't say symptoms, but the the hot flashes, the brain fog, all of that. So it's super important that we address metabolic disorder. It also greatly impacts your brain. It inhibits your ability to think clearly. It compromises your recall. So this is a very, very important part of our overall health that we always need to keep our finger on, particularly because the diets in the U.S. and now worldwide aren't aren't geared toward strong metabolic health. And we tend to get away with a lot in our teens and our 20s. And then in our 30s, it starts hitting us and definitely in our 40s, 50s and beyond. So what causes insulin to rise? Foods that cause insulin to rise are foods that very easily and quickly convert into glucose. Glucose is the type of sugar that our body likes to use for energy. When we eat, our digestive system 
it breaks down foods into their components. So into glucose, into amino acids, into lipids. That's what results from the foods that we eat. When we eat foods that are high in carbohydrates, those foods easily convert to glucose. And when that glucose hits our bloodstream, and actually even before it hits our bloodstream, because there are sensors in your digestive tract that sense the amount of carbohydrate in your food and begin to prime the body as the food's getting digested to handle the sugars. Because Elevated sugar is toxic to the body. And so the body is very much attuned to how much sugar is entering the bloodstream and keeping it within range. So typically you have one teaspoon of glucose circulating in your blood at all times. So if we eat a high carbohydrate meal, say for instance, we have oatmeal in the morning, as that breaks down, it is going to turn into glucose and we will have more than one teaspoon of glucose circulating in our blood. The hormone that regulates that is insulin, our star hormone today. Insulin gets secreted, insulin signals to the cells in your body, please take up energy. All cells use glucose for energy. So your, say your skin cells will take up as much as they need for what they're doing right now. Your um, nerve cells will take up as much as they need for what they're doing right now. The excess insulin shuttles into the liver, into your muscles, and into your fat cells. The preference is to shuttle it into your liver. But if your liver is too full, your liver says, no, thank you. Have enough stored energy here. I won't take any more glucose in. Then your body will go to your muscles. Let's say you've worked out and your muscles are deplete of energy. Your muscles will then soak up some of that glucose. Say you don't work out, your muscles are topped off with energy. And so they too say, sorry, no, thank you. Next, we go to your fat cells and that's where the excess energy gets stored. And most often it gets stored in your midsection at this point. So you will find your waist circumference growing, you'll find your little belly growing, and you'll wonder why. Why is because the foods that you're eating cause insulin to elevate and energy gets stored in your fat cells. The other thing that happens is you eat meals too frequently. So the idea that, oh, you'll lose weight if you eat many small meals to keep your metabolism stoked, the research shows us that that is incorrect. We did that and Americans generally got fatter. What actually needs to happen is you need times where your insulin levels drop and that decrease in insulin levels allows your body to access the stored energy in your fat cells. So let's say you ate that oatmeal in the morning and you stored some of that energy in your fat cells and you, let's say you ate your oatmeal at 7 a.m. and you don't have lunch until 12 or 1, there's a period of time of two to three hours where your body gets to use the oatmeal that it's stored in the fat cells for energy. 
But imagine you eat at seven, suddenly you're hungry again at 10 o'clock and you eat. When you do that, you never give your body a chance to use the stored energy. You never give your body the chance to use the stored energy. And so you don't burn any fat. And instead, you just continue to top off your energy needs as well as your energy stores, which is not what we want. The other thing that causes insulin to rise, which is very, very important that we talk about is stress. So last year, I experimented with a continuous glucose monitor, which I highly, highly recommend. I used a program called Levels, which I loved. And I loved it because it gave me a bird's eye view into my body. It was like looking under the hood and seeing what did food, what did stress actually do to my blood sugar? How did it affect my blood sugar? And the super interesting thing was, is how impactful stress is. And we oftentimes think of stress as like elevating cortisol or, you know, elevating our heart rate or increasing our blood pressure. But part of the elevated cortisol is also elevated insulin. So if you are in a high stress situation and you can't lose weight, part of that is the stress itself. It's keeping your insulin levels elevated, which is keeping your body in a food and an energy storage mode and a conserve fat, make more fat mode. So it's super duper important that we realize that stress is really impactful, particularly stress around the time that we're eating and when like immediately afterwards. And so this is why like grab and eat something hastily in your car really does you dirty because it stresses you out. Say you're late for a meeting or you're late to pick up your kid or whatever. It stresses you out. And that means that more of those food calories are going to get stored in fat, which is not what most of us need. So it's important that you think about, okay, even if you have to skip the meal or have the meal after the meeting or after whatever it is you're rushing to, it's so, so much better for your body. It's also great for your body if you just take a big, deep breath and a slow exhale before you eat. That automatically through the vagus nerve dials down your stress and puts you in a rest and digest state, which means that your insulin levels will not be overly elevated. Your body can digest, your digestion improves, and less of your energy calories would be stored as fat. So think about your stress levels, particularly if you're frustrated, you think you're doing everything you can, you're working out, you're trying to eat better, but the weight isn't budging. Think about your stress levels in general and very much so during the two-hour window that you are eating. Stress is an important contributor to insulin rises. And I literally saw that. If I had a, like, say my daughter called me and she was upset over something and then I ate lunch, 
I saw my insulin levels rise way higher than eating the same lunch in a completely calm situation or a situation after receiving good news or having a laugh or something like that. So stress is a real thing in terms of it elevating your blood sugar, elevating your fat storage, and really making it hard for you to lose weight. So I suggest that everyone run out and get a CGM because it is truly amazing to see what happens. And it also helps you to to behave differently because you get moment by moment information on how your body is functioning. So how does insulin affect weight loss? You've probably already surmised and already guessed from what we've said thus far that insulin is a huge player in your weight loss. Ideally, for weight loss to happen easily, for it to happen um, with like a steady pace, allowing our insulin levels to stay fairly low is what we want. Because when they're low, our fat cells can release the stored energy. That means we can lose weight. So in order to lose weight, we need lower insulin levels. So what are some strategies that you can implement today to help reduce your insulin levels? And when whenever I'm working with clients or whenever I'm doing a podcast or whenever I'm writing a newsletter, I always want to give you steps that you can literally take and transform your health because having ownership and having agency as it relates to our health is the key to longevity. It's the key to healing. And you're, no one is with you all day, every day, except yourself. So the more you are empowered, the better off you will be. So getting back to strategies for reducing insulin levels. First off, non-eating periods. Have periods of time when you are not eating. So you eat your breakfast. You don't eat until you eat your lunch. You don't eat until you eat your dinner. This is basically taking your snacks out. You're taking your snacks out because you want lower insulin levels between each meal. You want to create pockets of fat burning. And this is effective for weight loss, even if you make your lunch, let's say, larger than normal so that you can get through those five, six hours between lunch and dinner. You will fare much better in terms of weight loss than had you had a smaller lunch and a snack in between lunch and dinner. Having these windows where our body gets an opportunity to burn fat is essential for weight loss. So we want to have non-eating periods. So if you find that literally you're eating six times a day and eating is when you put anything in your mouth besides black coffee, water, plain seltzer, plain iced tea, plain hot tea, If you're putting anything in your body that's caloric, it doesn't include vegetable broth or mineral broth. That's also what I consider a fasting liquid. So anything besides the fasting liquid, that counts as eating. Even if it's just like a bite or a nibble, 
your body has to handle that bite and that nibble. That bite and that nibble just doesn't sit in your stomach. It goes through your digestive tract. It causes insulin to be released. So when we have non-eating windows, that means nothing goes in our mouth besides fasting liquids, our black tea, our black coffee, our water, our seltzer, our mineral broth, our mushroom broth, our chicken bone broth. That's it. So creating more non-eating periods. And I always say, start where you are and then go from there. So if you're at six meals a day this week, reduce it to five meals a day. Next week, go to four meals a day. The week after, go to three meals a day. Ease yourself into it. Get your body used to feeling a little bit of hunger and going to your fat cells to burn the energy. A note on breakfast here. Breakfast is a great meal, but it's not a necessary meal. And so it might be easier for you to skip breakfast and have lunch and dinner. Or for me, I find it easier to have breakfast, skip lunch, and have an early dinner. That's creating bigger and bigger eating windows so that my body has more and more time to burn through the energy that I've eaten and energy in my fat cells. I will also... One other strategy for reducing insulin levels is extending that non-eating period we have at night. So eating post-dinner is the worst thing you can do for yourself for weight loss. And the worst thing you can do for yourself as it relates to metabolic health and brain health, we don't want to eat late at night. Like that is basically putting ourselves in a hole which we don't want to do. We want to be our best friends. We want to help ourselves. We want to make sure that we stay good and healthy. Also, getting back to that eating after dinner, the earlier you can eat dinner, the better. So when you get to extend that non-eating period between dinner and breakfast, that is super impactful on your fat burning because that is a good 12 hours or more where your body gets to burn fat, where you get to lose weight, where you get to have very low insulin levels. And it also helps your brain to detoxify better. Your brain detoxes at night. If insulin levels are elevated, it inhibits the detoxification of the brain because insulin binds with one of the molecules that's needed for that. So remember, the longer we have between our dinner, end of our dinner, and our breakfast, the better off we are, and especially for our brain health, which that's something we don't want to lose. Another strategy for reducing insulin levels is exercising after your meal. So when you exercise after your meal, you create a deficit that your food gets to fill. So here's what happens. You eat, your body needs more energy to digest, and then you go for a walk. You're using your big leg muscles, your big glutes. Your body needs more energy to do that, and you're clearing energy out of your muscles. That means that that food that you ate, it comes into your bloodstream and it quickly gets used or shuttled into the muscles, 
which means that insulin is less needed. Since the energy is getting used as it's entering the bloodstream, insulin does not need to signal for further storage. Instead, your body's like, I have this, I I need this energy right now. So this is super, super helpful in bringing down blood sugar levels. Exercising after dinner, exercising after lunch, exercising after breakfast. And this movement need be only like a 20-minute walk would do it. If you can't go for a walk, do 20 air squats. That too, because of the tax on your thighs and your glutes, and there's such energy burners, your thighs and your glutes, that will help to clear some of the glucose. So remember, another strategy is to exercise after your meal. Another strategy for reducing insulin levels is the order in which you eat your food. So you're going to eat your vegetables first, and then your fat, and then your protein, and then your carb. In general, the lower carbs we have, the better it is for our insulin level. But when we stack our eating, so we're eating tons of vegetables, we're eating healthy fats, we're eating adequate protein, then it is so much easier for our bodies to be able to keep our insulin levels low. So remember, veggies first, fat and protein, and then your starch. And lastly, another strategy for reducing your insulin levels is, well, there are two more. One, avoid liquid sugar. So avoid the Coke, avoid fruit juices, avoid energy drinks that are laden with sugar, avoid sodas that are laden with sugar. When we have liquid sugar, avoid pressed juices that are laden with sugar, like pineapple, apple, pear, no thank you. When we drink things that are high in sugar, it immediately elevates our insulin, immediately elevates our insulin. So we want to stay away from drinking sugary things. It is the worst thing that we can do for ourselves. When I started losing weight, the first thing that I did was I eliminated, I tapered slowly. I even went to the Diet Coke first and then I tapered myself from that. Stopped drinking the sugary drinks. We can't do that. That is a mainlining sugar. That is basically telling our body, please store more fat. Please, please, please store more fat. So it really helps you to eliminate your sugary drinks. And the last thing for a strategy for reducing insulin levels is to not have your carbs on an empty stomach. So we think, oh, we'll have some, a few pretzels. That's a great snack. It's low in calories, blah, 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 blah. However, it is pure carbohydrate. So that is pure signaling to your body, please store me. Whatever you're not going to use right now in, in this like handful of, you know, pretzels I just ate. Please put this in my fat cells and please lock down the fat cells. So when I need more energy, I can't get it. Avoid carbs as snacks. If you're going to have a carb or have a dessert, 
have it at the end of a meal where the effect of that sugar is buffered by everything else that you're eating. And people always ask me, okay, well then what snacks should I have if I'm having snacks? Think of it as a piece of fruit would be great. Um, the fiber in the water really slows down the sugar and the sugar is fructose, which operates a bit differently in our body. Um, another idea is to have single servings of nuts. I say single servings because it's so easy to overeat nuts. Olives, that's another great snack. Single servings of olives. I, my favorite is cucumbers. I love cucumbers. So I'll have that. You might have a little bit of yogurt with some blueberries. You might have a cup of berries. That's an excellent snack. Um, and it has so many health benefits. So that's what you can use for snacks as opposed to, say, pretzels or popcorn or any of the things that we generally reach for for a snack. So this is the end of your Insulin 101. I hope it has been helpful. It is a huge service to yourself to lower your blood sugar levels. I encourage you to share this podcast if it was helpful to you with other people. There are so many people walking around not understanding what's happening in terms of why they're gaining weight, why they have systemic inflammation, why their metabolic health isn't good. This podcast will help them. I also encourage you to go on our website, subscribe to my newsletter. It is absolutely fabulous. Follow us on Instagram, subscribe to this podcast, and and share, 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 share. The more we can share health, the better off we are. So as I leave you, remember a few things. Expand your non-eating periods. Move after your meals. Eat your veggies first. Don't drink your sugar. And have dessert at the end of your meal. That's it. Love you. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, the Jolie Life Podcast. And if this podcast helped you in any way, I invite you to share it with your friends and your family and whoever you come across that you think might be helped by this podcast. I would love to hear your comments and you can contact me at julia at thejoliielife.com. And please follow us on Instagram, The Jolie Life. Our website is thejoliielife.com. And it would be lovely if you would subscribe and if you would rate this podcast and go back and share this with someone. Let the ripple effect happen. Let the Jolie Life be the beautiful life that keeps on giving. Bye, beauties. Lots of love.